All right, everyone. This is uh, uh, the NLP Today uh, weekly thing. We just talk about different topics, try to get some information out there. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for jumping on the call. Um, it'll be recorded, uh, be put up on YouTube. I'll put it on Facebook. Uh, when you, wherever you see it, feel free to share it. This is information to be shared. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's why we do the NLP today. Different topics, have some fun and, and get some different information and different viewpoints. <laughs> and uh, we're bringing in other people to talk on different topics. You know, uh, one of the people I was meaning to reach out to is on the call now, Adam out in California. I was going to ask him maybe in, when he's got time on a Wednesday to give us, well, his be Wednesday morning, uh, you know, to talk on what he does with zero pain now and, and you know, different topics. So. I'm going to so. lasso Billy into doing one of his uh, <laughs> neurological talks or something like that. Uh, I won't ask him to do the talk on hypnosis for hair res restoration. <laughs> uh, uh, Will, I'm, I'm sorry. There are just limits to my imagination. <laughs> I don't believe that. Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So today we're going to hear a little topic, a talk on uh, something I fell in love with. Actually, when, well, I've been studying it because of post-traumatic stress stuff. Um, for a while, and I really escalated studying it when the lockdowns happened because we had time on our hands. So I took all these classes I could find um, on polyvagal theory. And, you know, Billy's kind of a historian in that area of how things change. And uh, the work of Dr. DeBecker and a few others um, are shifting big time the whole world of clinical psychology and how they approach trauma. And even addictions, it's now starting to show up in, in the, the addic addiction world. I mean, he talked about it from the beginning, but addiction counselors are talking about unresolved trauma could be why people don't recover from long-term addictions. You know, for years they thought maybe it's connection, maybe it's uh, something else, but now they're leaning toward, it could be unresolved trauma from your childhood. You know, that, and again, all trauma is personal. That's one of the great things I got out of, of, of a lot of those talks. You know, it's not just combat, car wrecks, violent crime. It could be whatever it could be, you know, not nurtured, not, not, in, not supported, uh, no physical contact with your, with your caregivers growing up, things like that. All those things can be, but we're going to hear about that from Miss Carolyn East, who's out in beautiful Oregon, uh, in a beautiful part of the country, uh, when it's not on fire or flooded. Um, <laughs> And I've been out there, it's, I like it. Uh, in fact, I, Christina says it's one of the favorite areas that she's been to, and she's been in all 50 states and every uh, province of Canada when she was with the circuit. So she's wow. actually got to visit every place. But uh, Carolyn's been studying this and really getting into it and sharing with it how we as hypnotists and NLPers and therapists in general can use this material in the easiest, possible way. So I'm going to make Miss Carolyn a co-host if she wants okay. it. Okay. Okay. So I can screen share now. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's yours. And so let me introduce uh, Carolyn, then I'm going to mute myself and just watch with the rest of you. So help me wel welcome Miss Carolyn East from 
Oregon. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Yay. Okay. Thank you now. so much. Oh, all right. Actually, I feel pretty important now. Okay, here we go. Let's see. This is the hard part for me is the screen share. Um, the technical stuff is, there we go, there we go, okay. There, look at that. Rick is my wizard of ops. For those of you who don't know, Rick is my husband. And without him, you would not be looking at this screen right now. He has taught me everything I know and this is it. Pushing buttons. Okay. Polyvagal theory. Today, what I want to do is share with you what I've been studying and researching, and I continue to do so because, as Dr. Will was saying, it's just so fascinating. <clears throat> so I discovered, I started playing with, as I was learning about polyvagal theory, how I could take polyvagal connection exercises, and I'll get into that a little bit later, and blend it and really fuse it with NLP and hypnosis to try and get the best possible results for my clients. So that's the crux of what all of this is today. Here's a look at what I am planning on the agenda. I have objectives for you, my presentation objectives, and then after that, I want to talk about the three essential elements of polyvagal theory. And this is from the standpoint of those of us who are doing the work, the therapists, the coaches, the psychologists. Then we're going to get into what polyvagal theory actually is. Now, this is only a one-hour presentation, so it's a very uh, topical overview. Um, and then I'll move from there. Once you know a little bit about polyvagal theory, we're going to take that and actually apply it. And I'm going to show you what I did using a couple of exercises that I chose and how I applied them in two different case studies. Okay. So we're going to look at the importance of context, choice, and connection for client therapy the definition of polyvagal theory and its relation to the autonomic nervous system, how the autonomic nervous system works. We're gonna define co-regulation and neuroception because those are terms specific to this polyvagal theory presentation and they are terms that were coined by Dr. Stephen Porges, who's considered to be the father of polyvagal theory. Then we'll discuss the hierarchy of the three biological pathways of response. And I'll present the two exercises and discuss the two case examples applying the fusion of polyvagal theory with NLP and hypnosis. Little bit about me real quickly is um, that, and I'm, excuse me, I'm gonna click on this for a minute. There we go. Um, a little bit about me is that I live and work in Beaverton, Oregon, which is a little suburb of Portland. And uh, it's, as Will was saying, it's just gorgeous here. 
my background in education is in social work. I double majored in social welfare and corrections. So I have a really strong background in criminal justice, psychology, and social welfare. Uh, I am a certified hypnotist and also certified in NLP. I spent many years working in animal-assisted activities, animal-assisted therapy, and animal-assisted crisis response. Uh, and um, that was all volunteer work. Uh, let's see, I'm also certified in disaster and terrorism, behavioral health response through the Office of Mental Health and Addiction Services with the Oregon Department of Human Services, and I'm FEMA certified. And what's going on here? I'm stuck. Okay, my wizard of ops, I need you. For some reason, oh, there we go. Okay. This is my contact information. So should we have questions that come up after today's presentation, if you're thinking about it and you wanna reach out to me, this is how to reach me. And I wanna start off also by acknowledging and giving credit to all of those who have given me this information. I didn't come up with this stuff. I'm just passing it along. So credit for polyvagal theory subject matter. Dr. Stephen Porges, again, and Deb Dana, I believe is um, a colleague of Dr. Porges. Uh, Deidre Fay is a social worker. I'm actually taking classes from her advanced social work classes from her now. There's a lot of overlap through the different fields, psychology, social work, coaching, all the healing practices now are looking at polyvagal the uh, theory. Dr. Lola Perez-Galino and uh, Dr. Dan Daniel Amen has some amazing books out on the market. These are all folks who have YouTube channels. So again, if you wanna know more, look these people up. Okay, let's go ahead and start. Again, this is from the, uh, the therapist's point of view, the three essential elements of polyvagal theory in therapy. And there's gonna be uh, a lot of similarity to what you know. Um, one of the things I wanted to stress is that a lot of what you're gonna hear today you already know in some form. And when you hear this, this might be a little more in depth than what you were originally trained with. You know, we're trained as hypnotists to get our, our clients to take nice long deep breaths and inhale and exhale, and that relaxes them. That's how I was trained as we start an induction for hypnosis. But we never really got the in-depth training. And one of the things that uh, I wanna point out as we get into this is that you're gonna see a lot of similarities and I'll point them out as we go. So context, choice and connection, three essential elements to the polyvagal theory in therapy. And if any one of these elements is missing, the autonomic nervous system, 
will automatically begin to prepare for protection. And you're gonna learn more about this and why coming up. So the context talks about uh, what we're gonna do with our client. Often our clients just walk into our offices and they don't necessarily know um, what to expect and they don't always ask or therapists don't always offer why they're doing something a certain way. Maybe the therapist thinks they can't handle the truth. I don't know, but often they just kind of walk in blind and, and they're nervous. So when we provide the what, the why, and the how of what we're going to do and how we're going to work with them, then their autonomic nervous system receives the information that is needed to feel safe. And when the client feels safe, they can more easily participate in the therapeutic process. They can relax and that's what we need them to do. They need to feel free to be able to share. Choice. Now we as hypnotists know choice is so very important. We are trained to ask permission. We are trained to let them know that they have choice. We ask permission before we hypnotize. We ask permission before we touch. And so we know how important choice is. It's just important to keep in mind that when choice is restricted, if we forget to ask, automatically the autonomic nervous system will sense danger and enact a survival response. Now, I'll just add to that, the client may not always be aware at first that this is going on, and I'll explain that in a moment. But the therapist can put the client more at ease by offering, starting with the simplest things, choice such as where to sit. In my office, all my chairs face the door. Seems silly, but at least they know they can look around and they've always got a clear visual line to an exit. We can offer them the choice of the focus of the session and even the pace or the mo modality that we're going to use. I always discuss all of these issues with my clients in advance before we start. This is where I, this is the direction. I thought I would take this session. What do you think about that? Is there anything you wanna add? Do you wanna change that? That's you know kind of how I, I start the session with my client. And if they feel we're moving too fast, we'll slow it down, we'll pull it back, we'll spend another week working on something that they may feel they need more time with. So the client always has a choice. Okay. And also, you know, having fun is really important. And I like to make jokes with my client. Humor is a very therapeutic modality. I think we should have fun today. And one of the things that we should do, and I, I teach my clients about the reticular activating system. I meant to bring this up earlier, I must say. Um, 
you know, this, there's an experience of learning to ask yourself the right questions. Dr. Will taught us this, and I do this every day for myself. I do teach it to my clients. Let's ask questions in a way that the answer would evoke a positive response. How can I have more fun today? How can I have fun learning this new material? How can I take this and apply it in my office? And I do this with my clients. How are you going to take what you learned today in this session and make tomorrow a better day? It's also part of connecting. Connection is what we call in, in the hypnosis world, rapport, gaining rapport, gaining trust. So we, we as therapists are responsible responsible for making sure that we track and that we recognize disconnection if it begins to happen. If we see that our client is drifting, is maybe, you know, they're starting to think about other things that are coming up in their day and they're drifting off, what we want to do is really track them, be watching them and, and return, return them back to us, to the connection process, because that's key to their therapeutic success. So when we see them begin to kind of drift off, um, we wanna bring these moments to their awareness. It's also a good way to just increase their feeling of safety. The autonomic nervous system is constantly running safety checks at the subconscious level. So as I mentioned earlier, they may not necessarily be aware that this is happening, but it's like a little radar system that's constantly working. It's one of those involuntary systems that works behind the scenes. And that's what keeps us alive. So by making the client aware, Relaxation will come more naturally, easily, and quickly. Okay, so that was our responsibility, as I see it, from the therapist standpoint. Now let's get into some of these terms I talked about uh, in the polyvagal theory. Okay, quick little fun fact here. Vegas is the Latin word for wander. The vagus nerve runs through the entire body. And so as you look at the graphic, you see that it starts at the brainstem and runs all the way down the body. So it didn't, it didn't used to be known, if that's correct English grammar, I'm not sure, but it wasn't always known that the vagus nerve was quite as extensive as it is. And now they know that it actually runs, as you can see in this graphic, the entire length of the body, not only that, but if you look at it in great detail, it has arteries and it branches out to each and every vital organ in the body. So there are receptors from all throughout the body, especially in the gut. They say there's like a second brain in the gut and a third brain 
meaning there are a lot of receptors in the heart. And that's why so often you feel things very viscerally when you when your stages of of uh, feelings of safety or danger start you when you experience those feelings you feel it viscerally and this is why it's all connected so the polyvagal theory really talks about um how the autonomic nervous system takes in information and initiates a response it defines how the autonomic nervous system reacts to experiences and then regulates those responses. And it outlines a hierarchy of three biological pathways of response. These are the three organizing principles of polyvagal theory. The first is co-regulation and co-regulation is a biological imperative. And what that means is a biological imperative means that this is something that needs to be to take place in order for a human to stay alive. We need this to survive. Co-regulation in this particular context, as, as defined by Dr. Porges, means that there is a calming response happening between two individuals as they interact. And that is what creates that feeling of safety. We need to connect with other humans, but we need to know that it's safe to do so. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about co-regulation being a biological imperative. Neuroception, also a term coined by Dr. Porges, uh, is the process of the brain constantly working to detect without our awareness. It's always going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, scanning, scanning our environment looking at the, the, the people or the circumstances around us to signal whether or not we feel safe or whether we feel threatened in any way. And one thing that we have learned is that neuroception is not a static process. You're not either feeling good or feeling bad. Throughout the process of your day, as you begin to feel stress and then relax, it's a dynamic process. It's always changing. For instance, you may get up in the morning and it's a beautiful sunny day in Oregon and the birds are singing and everything's going well. And I'm in what we call the ventral vagal state, this great state of calm and happiness and able to interact with others. And then I get on the road and I know I have a meeting at work and I've got to get there. And oh my gosh, I hit all this traffic. traffic, And I plummet, I get stressed and I plummet down into the sympathetic state because I'm getting very stressed. Then I 
I get to the office and I find out that I'm not going to be late after all. I'm actually going to make it on time. And I relax. I take a breath. And I go back up to the ventral vagal state. So this is a very dynamic uh, experience, this sense of neuroception. Okay. And then finally, that hierarchy that I'm talking about, ventral vagal, sympathetic, and dorsal vagal, here is a wonderful depiction of what that looks like. So neuroception of safety, meaning that ventral vagal state is, is what we call it. You're social, you're, you're able to engage, you are connected to others. So you have that co-regulation going on. Neuroception of danger, sensing danger, is when you're going into that sympathetic state, you're preparing to mobilize, take action, fight or flight. Okay, so literally in those states, your body functions are changing. Your heart rate may be going up and your blood pressure may be going up as you go into the sympathetic state. It comes down in the ventral vagal state. And then a state you never wanna enter into is the neuroception of life threat. Dorsal vagal is the lowest on the ladder and that leads to collapse, to freeze, to complete and utter shutdown. It's a life-threatening state and it's usually a state where you become completely immobilized. So those are the three different states on the autonomic ladder. Okay. Oh, we're tracking well here, time-wise. Okay. That was it very quickly. But in a nutshell, that is what polyvagal theory is. Now... As I begin to prepare you to go into the magic of fusion, I think first it's time for a little fun, a little break. So let's start with a quiz. See if you've been paying attention. And I thought who better to consult with than the one and only Karnak, the Magnificent. So if you're ready, the answer is what's in it for me and the song, The Wanderer. What's in it for me and the song, The Wanderer. I'm a Makes me want to dance. Okay. And the question is, what are Polyvagal's high school motto and fight <laughs> Well, I never. May a crazed yak stomp on your vagus nerve. Okay. Well, let's just move it right along here. Back to work. Okay. Polyvagal exercise examples. There is a wonderful book out here. 
and uh, it looks just like the picture. And there are 50 client-centered exercises or practices in this book that I highly recommend. These are the exercises that I blend in with my NLP and hypnosis. So let's go through this real quickly. Glimmers and glows is a really, really fun exercise. Glimmers and glows make a great backdrop for, and this is just one of many different ways you can get as creative as you care to get, but it's a great backdrop for a hypnosis induction. I think about glimmers and glows lying on my back in a meadow in the middle of summer, looking up at a starry sky and watching the stars twinkling and glimmering and glowing. What a great way to just drop a person down into complete relaxation. But there are so many other applications, so many other ways too, to use those glimmers and glows. And one of them is to look at, as, look at the glimmers and glows as uh, those little tiny miracles that you come upon unexpectedly throughout your day. Little things that happen that just make you smile, put a smile on your face. We tend to just kind of overlook them or walk past them and, and not hang on to them. But when you're having a tough day, if you have a, a treasure chest filled with these glimmers and glows that you can draw upon and pull out and just kind of remember that there was good in your day, something to lift you up, things that just light up your neurology. So think about with your client uh, creating this tre treasure chest and collecting. I, you know what I do is I give my clients a little notebook and I say, you know what? Just when something strikes you or something happens that makes you smile, jot it down so you'll remember it. Fill up that treasure chest with glimmers and glows because you're going to need it. You're going to need it at some point. And then you've got like this bank account of smiles to draw upon. So that's, that's how I use glimmers and glows. And, and I'll explain that a little more as we keep going, how I used it with a client. Um, it just, it works out really, really well. Uh, the treasure chest, by the way, the treasure chest concept also is mentioned in the book, can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. He did that. He created a treasure chest of victor victories and, and, you know, powerful moments that he could draw upon when, uh, when he was feeling low or feeling defeated. So it's, you know, it's not new. It's, it's been used and it's just a great one to pull into your um, tool set to help your clients. Okay, 
shaping your story through sound. This is a good one. You know, I, I think we don't often realize that when we communicate with people, words, the actual words in the message that we convey is only 7% of the message. But tone and cadence and body language are really the essence of the message. That's what people look to. That's what people read. So the tone and cadence of the spoken words can greatly influence neuroception, the feeling of whether or not you feel safe or you go into sympathetic mode. And sound, for instance, you could drop straight down to dorsal vagal if you hear gunshots, would you not? That's very possible. But tone and cadence and the way they're heard and the way they're read determine whether you feel like someone is being aggressive or whether you feel like they're words of friendliness. So tone and body language also often communicate different meaning than the actual words. You know, the look on a person's face. And that's where masks right now are really difficult to see a person's face. You can't see a smile. Maybe if you see, you know, you know how to read the eyes, you can tell if someone's smiling. But overall, the, ma the masks, I think, affect a lot of people's sense of neuroception because it's confusing right now not being able to see a person's whole face. And message intention can also, also be misinterpreted if the tone and body language cannot be perceived. And that's why I myself do not really care for text messaging and email because I read words and I can't put anything behind it. And often people misinterpret um, messages that, you know, in ways that they were not meant to be interpreted because of that. So just, you don't know that all, all three things, words, tone of voice, and body language are all essential in creating a sense of safety. Okay, so let's talk about um, how I actually infused these two exercises uh, with my clients. Client number one was a 14 or is a 14 year old. She's uh, just now started her freshman year in high school. She was experiencing severe, very severe IBS symptoms. And uh, her parents took her to two different gastroenterologists. She went through test after test after test, and it was determined that her digestive tract is completely healthy. There was nothing wrong medically that this severe IBS, which came on very suddenly, uh, in the, in the midst of the COVID crisis, it started a year ago last June. So about three months into COVID was completely due to the onset of extreme stress. 
So a little bit about her background. Why would a 14-year-old who self-described um, to me, you know, told me that she has a very happy childhood, that she grew up not having a care in the world. She was happy-go-lucky. She's very artistic, very bright little girl. And in June, all of a sudden, this started. Well, that was really perplexing. And, you know, I'm working with her parents as well, and they're wonderfully engaging parents. She comes from a great home. But what I learned, which I thought was really interesting, her parents actually own a disaster preparedness consulting firm. And when COVID started, you know, and they had their business running, of course, they knew about a lot in advance because they worked directly with the federal government. So they knew before the general public knew what was coming. And their, their office is actually in the same building as mine. And so as long as they were able to keep work separate from home in the office, kids were doing fine. But as we all remember at the beginning of COVID, offices shut down, we all went to working from home. And so all of that information that was coming in, all the doom and gloom, all the negative messaging that started coming in was being brought home and the kids were hearing it. And um, one of the parents happened to be a high risk. This was before uh, vaccinations were available. And uh, the family is, is a high anxiety family anyway, they're all worriers. And so this poor little girl just started really, really taking all of this in and taking responsibility and very personally for making sure she didn't get sick, her that she didn't bring it in and make her parents sick. And, you know, it just mounted, mounted, mounted. So that's a little bit of the backstory and why she was so severely affected. So we started with glimmers and glows. We immediately, we needed to start calming her down and getting her to a point where she could see that she actually is safe, was safe. And looking for the parts of her day that reinforced that fact that would make her smile, the little things in her life. At the same time, remember schools had shut down, so she became isolated from her friends. She no longer had a social life and she's locked in a house all the time where it seems to be nothing but bad news. And so it got to the point where her case for a while was escalating and she became afraid to eat because if she ate, she'd have an IBS episode. So the glimmers and glows I brought in and I merged it with NLP techniques like the magic mirror and using those glimmers as she stepped, you know, and, and I know you're all familiar with the NLP exercises. So as I talk about this, imagine how I, Describe as I describe how you can see using this as the glimmers 
surround the mirror and she steps into that mirror and through and she can see the light and she can see hope on the other side as she defines for herself where she wants her life to take her. We did the new behavior generator. We did lots and lots of hypnosis for relaxation, changing her story, her history, that she could have a bright future. We did parts therapy. We did creating boundaries because she had to create boundaries between her parents' work and her life. And then she, would, she is such, such a bright girl. I talked to her a little bit about the polyvagal theory and I started teaching her about how her body actually could take charge. She didn't realize the amount of empowerment, the power that she holds within to control the symptoms, to gain control by calming herself. And that worked remarkably well. So she really took to that. And we finally got her to a place where, oh, she's gone well over a month, it's probably five, six weeks. She went without any episodes whatsoever. Once she realized she actually had control. We used the drop-down focus technique. That was very helpful too. Really helped her to drop down and get more and more into understanding what was going on within her. And of course, hierarchy of thought to create distance between herself and what was going on, take her out of the immediate moment. These are techniques that are so incredibly effective. And then you add the glimmers and glows, and there are so many. There's nature exercises in this book. There are so many that you use to enhance the NLP and the, and the hypnosis. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And she's doing so well today. She had one quick little setback right before she started school again. She got nervous because she's, a, first of all, she's a freshman, so she's starting high school. But as soon as she got through her first day, she realized everything was fine. And I reminded her about the amount of control that she has. She's doing so well that I only see her now on an as-needed basis. And I haven't seen her for a while. So that's great news. My second client, also a 14-year-old, high school freshmen starting this year, different issues completely. I've been working a lot with teenagers. I adore them. They're great kids. And they, you know, that's a, that's a great age. I, it's a mixed blessing, I guess, being a teenager. We remember those days. And if you've raised teenagers, you might have a different opinion, but these kids have been wonderful. And I, I truly have gotten attached to them. This this young lady had abandonment issues in a very big way, um, but she, she's a child actor and she loves performing. It's funny, the first client was very introverted. This client is very extroverted 
and um, very talented actor. She sings, she's very bright, she's a triple threat, but she was beginning to lose motivation. She was, you know, be becoming very sad, very lethargic and uh, not engaging like uh, she used to. These abandonment issues that she had been struggling with um, come from the fact that her father left the home when she was less than a year old. He moved on, he does live in the area, but she doesn't see him very often. He's not very involved with her. And uh, he is with another woman now who happens to be a former friend of her mother's. And he had a son with the second woman and he seems to value the son more than his first daughter. And that has caused her to, to feel abandoned and less than, so she's got major self-esteem issues. And um, so with her, because what I was hearing consistently from her was the messaging. She, as I mentioned a moment ago, she doesn't see him often, but when she does, she'll come back devastated, devastated. And, you know, she would say, my father, said something to me and it was very aggressive and he doesn't love me the way he loves my brother. And, uh, you know, so that's why I chose in that one, in addition to glimmers and glows, I use that for her too, but that sound cadence and tone exercise was really important for her to be able to take that and merge it, especially with hierarchy of thought, because it helped to put distance between herself in the situation by taking something he said, this is what I had her do, and repeat the message in different cadences, different tones, make it funny, say it in a high-pitched voice, say it in an angry voice, say it in a a medium tone voice and listen for how you interpret it. Each cadence, each tone sounds very different. Can we make it funny? Can we take the sting out of it? And as we learned to play with that, it really began to help her to, to, you know, take the power away from him and thicken her skin and, and understand that maybe he was just clueless, you know, just emotionally unintelligent, not realizing that what he was saying was being so hurtful. So that's how I applied the sound cadence tone exercise. Also, um, we did the NLP reparenting and rewriting your history because she did not have to allow him to define who she is 
And she certainly did not have to allow him to let her, to make her feel less than. There's also another really great uh, exercise. It comes out of a book called From Heart of the Mind by Connie Ray and Steve Andreas. And they are some of the original founders, part of the original group of founders of NLP. They worked with Richard Bandler and John Grinder. And that exercise is called Responding to Criticism. So I highly recommend that. It's, it's a really wonderful exercise. Um, and I encouraged her to assert her voice, find her voice and assert it respectfully. And I, I told her, I said, you don't have to allow your father to let, make you feel that way. You have every right to stand up for yourself. You're a bright young lady. And you tell him how he's making you feel. Just do it respectfully. And so that was uh, a large part of, of how we tracked on that one. She has graduated. She's gone on. She's doing great in school. I heard from her mother. And um, she's also on an as-needed basis. She'll come back when she needs me, but I haven't heard from her for a while. So I am thrilled. That's the way I like to see it. So I'm going to move on now. I know I went really quickly, but we are running low on time. And I do want to just sum this up real quickly. We talked about the context choice and connection and how important they are. We talked about polyvagal theory talked about the multiple ways the autonomic nervous system works. We talked about the three organizing principles driving the autonomic nervous system and the hierarchy of the biological pathways. And I talked about very quickly, but the, I hope you got a feeling, a good feeling for how you can easily blend these polyvagal connection exercises very naturally with NLP and hypnosis, and it creates a really organic healing experience for our clients. So at this point, I do, for the last few minutes, want to open it up to questions. Here are my references. I want to say thank you so much to Dr. Will and Captain Billy, because the two of you introduced me to polyvagal theory. And I love it. I love it. I love it. And whoops, again, my um, contact information. So if you think of something after the presentation today, please feel free to reach out. And at this point, um, I'm done. So I do want to, I'm going to stop the screen share so that I can see you all and answer any questions you may have. There we go. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, it was fast, but I hope, I really hope you were able to glean some good from it. Absolutely, I, I really enjoyed it. I um, am not previous to you and Captain Billy and Dr. Will, have been familiar with polyvagal and listening to you, especially uh, in Las Vegas, talking about polyvagal and 
and even a little before Las Vegas. And then I I bought the books you told me to buy. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was like, okay, now I understand. And, and I actually, I took the cellophane off of it. Captain Billy. I took it off because I thought. Caroline is talking about it. I better I better catch up with her. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Good on you. Good on you. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed your explanation and how you apply it with your clients. That that's really important. That that's the the big piece that I enjoyed. I enjoyed all of it. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Thank you. That's the fun of it. You get to be as creative as you want to be. But you made it easy because I've had somebody try to, in my dream teaching group, try to explain it. it was so too complicated, but how you applied it and made it simple, it's, it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. Because, Thank you. You know, that sister, I always say like in dreams that, you know, I could never put my finger on it, but in a dream and when I'm dreaming, I always felt my body was being checked like a space suit, you know, like the buttons oh. were being checking. And it actually, a dream actually saved my literal life with a medical um, precognitive wow. dream. So now I understand the connection between it, but I couldn't understand it before. So I really appreciate that. Oh, good, good, good. Cool. Thank you. Good, excellent. All right. Any other questions? I think Adam has one. I do. I do actually. I've got. I've got three, two quick questions based on things you said. The first is, when was that sunny day in Oregon you were talking about? <laughs> actually, today. Look. <laughs> no, I was so surprised. I. I, I played. I played tennis for a school in Washington when I was in college, and we'd play all the time in Oregon. <laughs> We never saw, I even Googled the number of sunny days a year. I was so surprised when you said that. Uh, you could count them on one hand. The second part of that is how old are all of we that we could understand your Karnak example? So, I was counting on that. <laughs> well, I, I have a question. I have a very parochial task in what I do with people. Sure. And I'm just you or anybody else may have a suggestion. So, People only come for one reason, to get rid of physical pain. We do really well. I won't go into detail. I'm trying to give you just enough to get the answer. Um, repressed emotions kicks off a change in the autonomic nervous system, blood flow changes, and that's what leads to pain in most cases. Anyway. Correct, yeah. So, based on polyvagal um, theory, Okay, so, so kind of, I understand this isn't a, the right way to say it, but it's the best I can do. All of our work is just before the autonomic nervous system change. So I know it doesn't stop working, but repressed emotions kicks off a change in the annex. Oh, shoot. I just, shit. Can you hear me still or am I going? I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yep, you're good. Uh-oh, oh, we lost oh. you. Oh dear. Reach out to me if you can hear me. <laughs> you can call. Yeah. Well, he may come back. So. Okay. Yeah. Billy. Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm a dear lady. Um, fabulous job. 
Um, you uh, you picked a very uh, how to say uh, fun foundational fundamental understanding that has so many pieces to it, um, and to to hone what exactly we're dealing with uh, with our clients. Um, that that's quite a job to to pare that down into. Um, an hour-long presentation. So uh, I applaud you what you're doing with that. And then on top of it, you link it to your experience with clients, to actual case studies. Um, and um, and uh, Porges's work still has more to be mined from it. He, oh uh, yes. He uh, I met. I've had a couple of classes with the guy now, but um, but I actually started talking about polyvagal theory with uh, Will. Back in 2012 at NGH was the first time I talked about um, using this as a, a way, a polyvagal theory and how the autonomic nervous system aligns itself to re really explain how we launch into everything we experience with hypnosis. Uh, but but uh, to the fundamental thing that you highlighted and, and, and despite, and, and we get hung up on the name, Seth, and an hour long to talk about what dorsal and ventral polyvagal mean. Um, that that you, you know will take some time. And and people that are academically trained and and especially anyone who's done biology knows that that those terms have specific meaning anatomically. And that's where all this stuff came from before the psychology of how they were used. Right. Um, but. Um, um, what you've done there and, and linking that to, to how you actually uh, have um, helped these clients, um, I, I applaud what you're doing and I can't wait to hear you talk uh, about this again. I think as you go through this, you're, you'll find ways I've found over the last decade, ways of uh, using metaphors that I like that aren't exactly textbook from Porges but nonetheless uh, are, are things that are much more bite-sized to understand in our community. But I, uh, I need to pipe down and give this back to you because uh, this, is, this is really uh, uh, really your, your show. No, this, this was fun, but thank you for the feedback. And Dr. Porges has a brand new book. It's dropping next week and on the 5th. So there you go. And it's an update. Pocket Guide to Polyvagal Theory. Can you see it? Yeah. Yeah. So grab it. I don't know how I got an advanced copy, but I did. Um, I pre-ordered it and they delivered it. I, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. It's got a glossary, everything I talked about. And I am building out this class to go into more detail awesome. so I can do a two and three hour and so on and so forth. But Thank you all. Wait, wait. So much. Let's get Adam was about to ask a question. I'm so, okay. I'm so sorry. Apple computers oh. don't like the sun and they overheat and shut down. My apologies. Oh no. So so, so luckily I have a phone. Um, okay, so what I was saying, repressed emotion. So you know this stuff. I clearly don't, and others of you have, have other different um, levels of excellence in it. So my question is knowing polyvagal theory as you do is there anything that maybe you can think of a technique an idea a tip anything knowing that that would help a patient client unrepress emotions 
I'm not sure I gave you enough information, but maybe I did. Say that again, an idea that would help. Well, our job, if repressed emotions kicks off a change in the autonomic nervous system, right. our whole job is really to help them unrepress the emotions that start that process that leads to physical pain. Gotcha. So clearly polyvagal has a, has a deep play with the autonomic nervous system. So I guess I'm wondering with this knowledge, is there a way that that could be helpful in helping the patient, whatever you want to call them, unrepress emotions? Kind of we're, we're, we're backing, I guess I'm backing into it. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. You know, doc, <laughs> Dr. Will or Billy, you might be better. There you go to answer this than me because they know a lot more than I do. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, I shouldn't chime in here, but for the sake of time, um, I'll, uh, I'll, and I'll try to be concise and, uh, and still some of Dr. Will's thunder uh, here. Uh, polyvagal theory is a way of understanding how excited we are really in the moment. And what you're talking about here with someone who has had trauma in the past, who may be repressing it knowingly, unknowingly, or, or varying degrees of conscious versus non-conscious awareness of what actually happened, uh, where polyvagal theory comes into play for a clinician is to really diffuse the encounter between you and the client in your space to make them feel completely at ease to where they can access all of their thoughts and emotions that they may be experiencing, even if they don't understand them, but to understand them, uh, but to fundamentally provide for them, convince them, overwhelmingly convince them that they're safe and with that dyad, that thing that you've created, that coactive space and this encounter, that gives them the opportunity now to look into that fog of what's repressed and start to see pieces. That, and, that's a great, oh, sorry. I, because as I often, you know, I've trained a, a lot of coaches, practitioners that do this for me with me. And I always tell them we only have um, two jobs, keep them safe and turn them back to their emotions. Situations don't matter in this case, emotions do, but it's all about safety. And as you're mm -hmm. saying, this is, this, so, so one, I, I guess my dilemma, or maybe somebody has an idea as to how to use it in order to help that happen more quickly, more rapidly. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll turn yeah. that. I'll turn that over to Will on how to build rapport and well, instill loyalty and all those wonderful things that that he's been teaching me for for decades. Well, you know, and and I'm fighting trying to remember the guy's name. He was a hypnotist in New England, and he was a watchmaker who got into hypnosis. And he was the one that um, a couple of his clients were Mary Baker Eddy, who went on and founded uh, Scientology. Yeah. Um, um, Holmes, the one that started Science of Mind. These were all some of his, and his name is escaping me right now. Are you talking about uh, Parkhurst Quimby? Yeah, Phineas Quimby. Yes, Phineas Quimby. Anyway, real quick, Mr. Adam, he 
used to say that the explanation is the cure. And I think one of the ways we can this can help is when you show people how your, your autonomic nervous system works and then just bring in, well, you get a repressed memory. Again, your mind doesn't know the difference between a real vividly imagined event, past, present, or future happening. When it's happening in your mind, it's happening right now. Ask anybody that's had a PTSD experience, it's happening, right? So when you explain it, to use Phineas Quimby, thank you, Billy, uh, explanation brings to light, oh, and I think what, like you said, a lot of people with chronic pain, a lot of people post-traumatic with addictions, when you start talking about it, the thing I've found is they go, ah, so I'm not fucking crazy. This is just how my body's responding. And I say, yeah, once your body starts that path, you know, it's like getting on, my big thing is it's like getting on the expressway. You're stuck for a while till you get an off ramp. And then you, Mr. Heller, are the off ramp. That's, that would be my metaphor. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's good. That, that, it's helped. I, again, I sort of have to piece things, but what you said was, was right because part of, you know, obviously rapport, you know, we all know that NLP. Um, but people went just imagine anybody with chronic pain they've been diagnosed with bulging discs and herniated discs and you know all of that stuff and so we're making a rather large jump to it originates psychologically in the brain psychosomatic psychophysical whatever words so their first thought is you know it's all you're saying it's all in my head or i'm crazy so what you just said spoke to that and can be very well and, and can be super useful in in creating i'm just thinking creating that rapport and and diffusing their um skepticism or their autonomic response so that the process can begin so that that's really helpful thank you well and the advantage to the explanation i believe is that you know when you're teaching them how their their body is working and it's happening without them even knowing it it's there to keep them alive as they begin to understand that and they realize that they're not crazy it's a scientific process that they can learn to gain control over is really really important for the healing oh yeah and it's beyond your conscious awareness you know, right it's like like the radar system on a ship or the exactly or, or all that it's like it's way out into the scanning the horizon so good stuff yeah. all right everyone thank you i'd like to thank our big round of applause for miss caroline e. oh thank you it was fun <laughs> Thank Very you, good. Excellent. Right. Thank uh, you so much. Thank be, you again. Thanks. And this will be posted on the NLP Today Facebook page. I'll send right. it'll be on a YouTube thing. Uh, when you see it, um, pass it around. And Miss Caroline, for you too, I'll, I'll upload this into Vimeo and then give you the link so you can download it. So you can oh, put it wherever you want. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. Billy. Um, yes. Um, um, and those of you that I've known here for years uh, know that I have a really checkered past, not, not only uh, being, a, being a psychologist, but I actually started out four decades ago. I'm being generous there, four decades plus, um, <laughs> and, a, and a field that now has become quite prominent called neuroscience. And here, I'll put this in. Uh, I hope that goes through. I don't know whether there's a what link uh, at, wow. 3 p, at 3 p.m. today. 
uh, my time, which is uh, like in less just mm. under two hours. Um, John O'Keefe, you can look for it on YouTube. That's supposed to be a YouTube link, but it's giving me more than what I got off of uh, email. Uh, John O'Keefe won the Nobel Prize in 2012 for his work in neuroscience, understanding how brains encode their, their, uh, encode their place in the environment, mammalian brains, largely rat brains. And, and they've extrapolated all that to humans, of course. Uh, but along with uh, the, uh, that Nobel Prize, he won the Kavli Prize, which some of you may not have even heard of, but they were founded in 2008 to complement the Nobel Prizes because Nobel Prizes were founded a century ago uh, with the, the, the funds that Nobel got from making dynamite and, and munitions. Uh, he wanted to do something to help the world. But the Kavli Prize was endowed to provide a similar million dollar or now million dollar plus in, uh, prize to scientists that work in areas that weren't around then. They are astrophysics, looking at the largest expanse of the universe, nanoscience, which is looking at the extreme smallest, and neuroscience, which is looking at, at what we think the human brain being the most complex thing that we know that we've encountered because we really don't know the full expanse probably. Uh, and, and it's the instrument we use for looking at the low end. So he won the Kavli prize, which is another million dollar prize that he shared with uh, someone here. And also in, um, I think it was in 2014 as well uh, for his fundamental work in identifying place cells and how, the hippocampus is involved in mapping. So I don't know how, what all he's going to talk about today, but um, I used to have an important position being a government scientist. So Carnegie Science Endowment still sends me links to it. So I have a Zoom link that they sent me, but I think I might ask questions. I can't imagine that I'm gonna ask this guy questions. <laughs> nonetheless, they gave a YouTube link, which will let anyone come in and view it today. And, um, and, and Dr. Will, I, I realize you're still recording this. You're going to have to uh, probably should have killed that or, uh, or chopped this off for uh, uh, Miss Caroline. Uh, 